Welcome back to another episode of Stone Mountain Media. I'm Dave here with Sugar Sean and Big Mo, who was with us a couple episodes ago for an episode entitled Big Mo's Evangelism Questions. Well, Big Mo's back with some new questions, this time pertaining to a man you may have heard of and his apostasy from the faith. Sugar Sean, what's up? Uh, Milo asks that we not call it a comeback, though. (laughs) Now, uh, you may have seen in the news uh, that the former lead singer for Hawk Nelson, which you probably don't know much about the band, my sister... My sister listened to the band we were growing up and listened to lame Christian music. And his name is what, Mo? John Steingard, or Jonathan Steingard, whatever you John- Jonathan Jimothy Steingard. And he made news recently because he walked away from the faith, you know, declared via social media that he no longer believes in God and uh, explained his move with a written out post where he in which he he cited questions he had about God about the Christian faith that never uh never went sufficiently answered and he cited these questions as one of the big reasons at least <clears throat> according to his words that he departed from the faith now i will say Joshua Harris of former sovereign grace fame and uh, author of A Kiss Dating Goodbye, which if you haven't read, I personally recommend it. It's my favorite book. I, I live by it. I Kiss Dating Goodbye very effectively. I've been living by it for years. <laughs> but Joshua Harris recently um, uh, left the faith, and you know it, it turns out that, uh, that basically sexual sin, and particularly uh, sodomitic sexual sin, was really central uh, to his departure. And so he had, uh, you know, what he testified to as reasons for his his move, wanting it to sound intellectual, but there was stuff in the background. And so whenever someone apostatizes or or presents objections to the faith, they, they may <clears throat> lay out objections to the faith as if it's a really reasoned out, thoughtful, intellectual position. And oftentimes... A lot of it has to do with just a love of sin, a desire to gratify the lust of the flesh um, and not desiring any inhibitions on that, right? If you have no fear of God and no love of God, the facade of Christianity inhibiting you from giving full vent to your passions is eventually going to become uh, unwanted. You know, why would you want that if you have no love or fear of God? And so fundamentally, that's what you're almost always going to be dealing with with people but it's still good to to answer folks uh questions and sugar sean does not know anything about hawk nelson he has a hawk that lives outside of his house other than that has no clue about hawk nelson though i will say kind of uh gay whiny rock is sugar sean's music style and so i'm surprised he doesn't listen to hawk nelson (laughs) Uh, but doesn't know Hawk Nelson, doesn't know the lead singer, doesn't even know the guy's questions. One of the reasons we're going to do this episode without telling Sean or even myself the questions that were cited as the reason for apostasy uh, is because we want to illustrate a principle of copiousness for you. Uh, Copiousness, you know, the, I talked about this in the need for Christians to be uh, martially prepared. 
right? In an episode on, on martial preparedness, uh, always, always ready uh, to do uh, what you're called to. And you're going to be presented with uh, opportunities to witness to the glories of Christ to, to people, and you have to be ready then. Uh, and so people are going to present you these questions uh, regarding the faith, and uh, you're going to be ready or you're not. You know, a lot of times in life, it's not like you've got uh, a writing assignment where you go and you get to read books, check them out from the library, write a research paper on an idea. Um, are you going to be ready? Are you living in a way that means you are ready? When the government says you can't go to church, have you already done your Romans 13 Bible study or are you scrambling to come up with something sensible? Are you ready when the time comes? Because the time's not going to introduce itself except when it's game time. So are you going to be ready? And so, Sean, myself, we don't know these questions. Big Mo is going to take us through a journey. And as we know, it's about the journey, not the destination. So Big Mo, take it away. Yeah, um, thanks for having me on again, guys. Um, I feel honored um, that you thought so highly of me to have me back on. Don't read too much into it. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so I just saw his post. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so there's just more questions that I thought you guys would do a really good job of answering. So we'll just get right into it. The first question is... If God is all-loving and all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? Can he not do anything about it? Does he choose not to? Wow. I, I've i never thought about that, and I'm really going to have to reevaluate my, my faith at this point. Sean, do you want to save me from the brink of apostasy? Instead <laughs> of this whole podcast, first question, it just all crumbles. Uh, there's a, a few things to say, you know, a few aspects to the question. Uh Yes, God is all loving. God is all powerful. God is all good. He He is those things. Those things are all ultimate in Him, measured by Him. He's the standard. Uh, and evil exists because God decreed it to be so, uh, because He desired to show His grace uh, by saving a people for Himself, uh, not deserving of anything of their own merit, uh, but purely of His grace, and also desiring to show His justice to. Uh, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and in it he is good uh, we are uh, responsible moral agents right the bible declares that and so the fact that god has decreed something and that we are moral agents are both true so that's where i'd start yeah and uh, agreeing with what he said adding to it i, I love the question um because it, it correctly, not intentionally, but correctly recognizes that God is, in fact, love itself, goodness mm-hmm. itself, power itself. There is no love apart from God's godness, goodness apart from God's godness, power apart from God's godness. God is God. And the question recognizes that and even further recognizes that there is evil in the world, suffering in the world. Without God, what is evil? Without God, d- what is suffering? Because yeah, what of, is meaning? Tons of baseline assumptions. Yeah. Are- and, and so the, the beauty of the question is that it gives away the farm uh, in the asking of it. And I say it gives away the farm because it's often presented uh, as a an uh, apologetic attack against Christianity. You know, I'm uh, a very intelligent 
atheist. I've either spent decades in a Christian band or one semester in a philosophy class. And so I've now discovered a question that's going to unravel all of Christendom. Mm -hmm. Um, But to ask it, let alone to formulate a grammatically correct sentence with meaning, but to have that meaning be so rooted in God's own godness, it gives away the farm in that it can't actually be asked as an attack against the existence of God because it necessitates the existence of God to have any meaning in the first place. And so once we recognize that God is goodness itself, love itself, power itself, that evil is real, suffering is real, and worse than we even know, because it's in us to a far greater degree than we could ever know, and it's out there and our perception of it is, is nowhere close to the, the full extent of, of perceiving how evil evil really is. Once, once we recognize that, then we're left with the question of, well, what is God up to? And we, we ask it because we're offended by our own suffering because we want our existence to be about us. We want to be the ultimate meaning, right? And it's because I am what it's all about. Any pain, suffering, evil that happens to me puts me up in arms. And, and the reality is, The world is made by God and it's made for God. It's about God and God freely, not having to make you, made everything. He made a world uh, in which the greatest story ever would unfold, where there would be the greatest hero who would vanquish in the most surprising plot twist, the highest evil the deepest evil, and vanquish it completely and do so in a way that would even effectively, for his elect, vanquish the evil that they are without vanquishing them. And that's what God's up to, and he's, he's marvelous in it. And so in, far from being an attack of Christianity, it's actually a question that ought to lead us to celebrate the Christ of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's a great question, not asked by people uh, well, you know, in, in a sensible way. You got anything to add to that? Uh, not to add, maybe just highlight. Uh, highlight away, like your locks. Don't make, you said you wouldn't make fun of me for that. I lied. Uh, yeah, I think just uh, we both said it almost in passing, but there's the reality that God is creator. We're creation. So one thing that that question also assumes is is kind of this idea that we can we can think about God's actions in the world like we think about humans' actions in the world, but God's creator. And we are we're creature. So there's a fundamental distinction there, uh, and we need to recognize that when we're when we're talking about God and His ways, and then man in, in His ways. Amen. Now, as an aside, before we go to the second question from Mo, uh, you know, sometimes you're listening to a podcast, you don't know what the, the different voices look like. You just have these voices, and you imagine. I want to just give you a visualization for whenever you hear Sugar Sean. Uh, Sugar Sean, what does he look like? I mean, that is, does he look like Tom Selleck with a voice like that? Well. I want you to think Tim Lincecum. Think flowing lettuce, but instead of uh, dark, deep, ebony hair, I want you to think full of highlights. Tim Lincecum with highlights. So cowboy. Surfer Tim Lincecum. That's Sugar Sean. There's, uh, there's so many things about that that hurt. That hurt my eyes? or just <laughs> Probably that too, but I just didn't know how you felt about all this, so. Just an interesting way to tell me. Take it away, Big Mo. Yeah, so you guys kind of touched on the next two questions, directly or indirectly. Um, So I'll just read them. Is the evil in this world a result of his desire to give us free will? And if God is loving, why does he send people to hell? 
Take it away, sugar. Uh, read the first one again. Is the evil in this world a result of his desire to give us free will? Well, the, the evil in this world is, uh, again, the, the very most fundamental because it's important not to beat around the bush on fundamentals because people want to talk about the reality that, you know, sin, sin is here because, uh, you know, the serpent, that is Satan, tempted Eve. Eve succumbed to that temptation uh, and had the choice to obey and chose not to. Uh, but what people are getting at, right, is the the more fundamental thing oftentimes, which is the reality that, well, that was, why was that there in the first place, right? God certainly decreed it. So we're not, we don't want to hide from that. Uh, it wasn't because God wanted to give all people in all times free will to choose whatever they want. Free will is kind of a, a silly thing to even talk about. Um, we're only free within our nature. Uh, and so Adam had the choice to sin or to not sin. He chose to sin and plunged all of humanity into sin. None of us are born uh, apart from a corrupt nature and with that corrupt nature can only choose and do choose sin. We voluntarily choose sin in accordance with our sinful natures, which we've justly been handed down from our forefather. Unless you are the immaculately conceived Mary, correct? The immaculate, immaculately conceived to Mary, is that what you said? No, immaculately conceived Mary. Oh, yeah, except that. And the second question? That's all I have on the first one. Oh, well. And it, it gets back to, you know, Mo pointing out that we had touched on it. You know, not only do we uh, at Stone Mountain Media not believe in free will in insofar as a will that is completely unconstrained by any outside influences or constrained by what it is itself. Yeah. Because that's not a thing, right? The, the will is... Uh, enslaved to sin uh, before regeneration and it's enslaved to Christ upon regeneration and and the will always acts according uh, to what it is and never apart from the total, uh, fully comprehensive decree of God. Uh, And so anything that is, is so because it is decreed or dare I say authored by God and that in no way undermines the fact that we make real choices with real consequences so when I just ashed all over uh, Sugar Sean's toes it was what I did the real consequence is the blisters boiling up on his pale pasty Tim Lincecum toes right now and it was decreed down to the detail by God uh, and so, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of times we think, you know, if, if we're going to talk about the full comprehensive decree of God, that somehow that undermines the fact that we make real choices, real decisions. And that, that's not the case. Uh, sin exists in the world because Adam chose sin and you sin because you choose sin. And, it's, and that can be true without you needing to be an autonomous free agent in the world. Uh, you want to ask the second question, Bill? Yep. If God is loving, why does he send people to hell? Kind of touched on already. As, as we, well. Yeah, we touched on it in a broad sense. You know, everything God does, he does for his own glory. Uh, but I think one thing that's underlying in, in a question like that is something that's pervasive in our culture today, which is a, a victimhood mentality. Uh, we're owed something from the eternal God who we have sinned against. So people have a low view of, of who God is, of what he requires of us, a low view of his law, uh, 
and also a low view of their own sin and what that requires at the hand of uh, a holy God, right? Mm-hmm. And so people come into a question, uh, a question like that, thinking about hell and and feeling like it's the uh, really just you know calling God unjust, not recognizing that they have uh, willingly sinned against the one who made them, who they owe obedience to. Uh, so yeah. If I recycle, do you think that that at least earns me some purgatory time? Negative. All right, I guess we deserve hell. And uh, they actually already recycle at the dump, so you don't need to spend your time doing that. That's a lie. <laughs> back to uh, <laughs> back to just the loving question in hell. Uh, <laughs> we have a misconception of love. This comes up at Ocean Beach a lot when we street preach at Ocean Beach. We talk a lot about the concept of love. What is love? Uh, and then, you know, talk about, so God is love. And we think, okay, God is love, so he can't send anyone to hell. Uh, basically, if God is loving, how would he ever dare punish me? But think about it on a, on a smaller scale, right? Uh, if, um, if a husband loves his wife, then he is going to be uh, violently opposed to anything that threatens her, anything that would dare wrong her. Love actually demands his violent opposition to evil against the object of his love. And because God is the supreme being and supremely glorious and supremely lovely, he supremely loves himself. And so all that goes against him necessarily experiences his love as wrath because he is love he will oppose with violent fury and wrath all that which opposes him and because it opposes him because all sin opposes him and because he's infinitely great hell is the the only appropriate response from god against sinners because the the uh, proportionate punishment do a crime is always dictated by the one offended by the crime and because God is of infinite worth any sin against him and so a crime against him deserves an infinite punishment which is hell infinite conscious torment under his wrath in something as bad as fire yeah I mean you think about uh you know there's still a decent amount of sensible people in America that see the necessity for life to be taken when uh, someone unjustly takes another man's life, right? We see that. not in California, yeah, not here, but some places, some glorious places, and uh, and in that, you know, you see this little microcosm of us, even as sinful men, recognizing uh, the cost of loving what is good. Loving what is good means we have to defend it, and we have to we have to penalize those who would buck against it. And so, like you said, you know, we. We can't even, in our minds, elevate it enough to recognize what that kind of payment would look like to a holy God. Man to man, life, done, death. Uh, well, against the eternal God, eternal death. And sure, Sean, so if, if I'm a sinner and I deserve hell for my sin because God is love, uh-huh. uh, we, we talked about earlier how Christ is the hero that would vanquish evil in, the, in this great plot twist and evil vanquish the evil that we are without vanquishing 
us. So if right. I, I've sinned against God and truly do deserve hell, I've sinned against him greatly, horrifically, deserve hell, and yet I'm here as a Christian testifying to my own salvation in Christ. So connect right. Christ to the idea of God being love and, and sending the guilty to hell. Sure. So uh, the guilty go to hell because God's not a uh, an arbitrary forgiver of sins, right? That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness must be, uh, there must be payment made uh, in order for justice to be served. And so God, in his love, in his love for uh, for us, he, you know, he holds the tension of, okay, so I, God wants to display love for sinners. And we know that he loves his law and he's not going to compromise on it. And so in his love, God sends his own son. Jesus takes on flesh. The son takes on flesh in the person of Jesus, truly God, truly man, like we've talked about uh, in times past, truly God, truly man, and actually lives a perfect life, upholds the whole law and does so in the place of sinners, in the place of every sinner that would put their faith in Jesus. And so God can actually justify wicked men by pouring out that wrath, do their head on the one of eternal worth, his own son. So not not a not a, a good man who died for sinners, but the God man who died for sinners. And as the God man, able to pay the eternal punishment for every sinner who would put their faith in him. Very good. Um, once again, just in your general answering of the questions, you kind of answered the next question. <laughs> so you can go ahead and ask it. Yeah, I, I will. But it's 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 cool. So why does God seem so pissed off in the Old Testament, and then all of the sudden he's a loving Father in the New Testament? The the funny it's thing not behind. My Bible. <laughs> uh, first of all, I will say. Big fan of Jesus. Got a lot of questions for God. Yeah, I had a uh, a guy I worked with as an RA at Point Loma Nazarene University. Great conservative institution. <laughs> yeah, just a just a bulwark for the faith. But uh, you know, I I was newly on this RA team, RA, like a residential assistant, so working in the dorm rooms, ideally you know at Christian school, mentoring guys. That was the goal and what I was excited about. And didn't know this gentleman I was going to be working with, and so went to one of his concerts. He's a really good musician, and so I went to like a coffee shop to listen to him play in uh, downtown San Diego, and uh, he gets up to the mic and he sa- he introduces himself. I'll spare his name, and he says, uh, "You know, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, but I have a lot of questions for God," mm. which is really hinting at you know that question, right? This mean God of the Old Testament and Jesus, you know, loves us enough to run away from home in heaven. And come down and like ransom us and then he you know pays a penalty for sinners and god the father's like mad about it but mm-hmm. you know he can't do anything about it jesus kind of tied his hands behind his back which you know literally one of the keynote verses explaining to us uh the loving kindness uh that sent christ to us was the loving kindness of the father you know god so loved the world that he sent his only son that was that was god's work that was the father uh, in love for us sending the son. So it's a it's a crazy dichotomy uh, that doesn't exist in the Bible. Uh, people have a problem because uh, there's a lot more. There's some very stark judgment passages in the Old Testament, which make people uncomfortable because it actually shows, uh, you know, the it shows a really just a small picture of the fruit of sin. Right. 
that's nothing compared to what eternal punishment is going to be like. So it's just people, you know, not dwelling on that at all, not recognizing that that's actually, that's actually like soft compared to what, I mean, that's just a moment, right? Mm -hmm. These, these judgments for a moment on sinful people. Again, this comes back to the reality that, uh, people not seeing God for who he is. Uh, God's holy and these people are sinning against him. They're mocking him. Uh, they're despising what he's made. Uh, everything that's meant to bring glory to him, meant to bring uh, us to gratefulness and adoration and praise uh, is being used against him, uh, being used to, again, spit in his face, uh, degrade his image, right? And in all of that, judgment coming and people considering God the harsh one, not recognizing that sinners uh, have done a despicable thing against the one who's made them. I also want to ask, well, and it, the question kind of reflects a, a not reading of the Bible, and the background of it is really interesting because apparently his father-in-law is a pastor. And father. Father-in-law and father, pastor. So Apparently not a lot of family worship. Yeah. So, and, and uh, we have talked about it. We've made mentions. We're going to do a future episode on the importance of family worship. But think about the importance of fatherhood in giving to God what he deserves, a godly seed. And, <clears throat> you know, what's the guy's name again? Jonathan Steingard. Steingard is is evidence of the failings of his father. He he is a monument to the sin of the father. Don't disconnect the two, you know. And if if you want your your sons to go differently, uh, do differently than Steingard's father, uh, because apparently John Steingard is just not reading his Bible. Uh, in in years of being a Christian celebrity. And, and providing sweet tunes for high school girls on their road trips. Uh, Steingart is reading a... Yeah. <laughs> a buddy over here is listening out songs he knew from the band. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> now I would say, you know, what, what New Testament... What New Testament is Steingard reading that he thinks that somehow wrath isn't in the New Testament? I mean, have you read the New Testament? Yeah. Have you seen Jesus's attitude to sin? He's on the throne right now. What do you think he's doing to his enemies? He's crushing every last one. I mean, have you read the book of Revelation? Even if you go to the parts that aren't as ambiguous as the other parts, he's talking about crushing people, ripping their names out of the book of life. Well, I mean, even uh, even in the Psalms, right? The Psalms that prophesy about Jesus. So you can literally just talk about, yeah, you can talk about Jesus in the New Testament. You can talk about Jesus in the Old Testament. Who do you think Isaiah 60 is talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, a man who is uh, trouncing his foes to the point where he's uh, all of his garments, you know, it was enough of a bloodbath to where all of his garments are spattered in the blood of his enemies. That's Jesus. Yeah, so, Steingart, I don't know what Jesus you're talking about in the New Testament, but the Jesus uh, in the New Testament perfectly shows us the Father. If you have seen him, you have seen the Father in his grace, in his love, in his wrath, in his justice, in his power. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father, so you need to look at the right Jesus. Yeah, and as another aside, uh, just because it's important to tie things in when they come up, right? You talked about probably a, a severe lack of fatherhood because it's been made plain in the fruit of his son, right? And uh, you cannot, the Bible forbids you from uh, mm. sectioning that off from his role as a pastor. Mm -hmm. His role as a pastor, uh, you can pretty much guarantee that's the way he's discipled his church. That man... Steinbeck Sr. 
Uh, Steingard. Ste- Isengard. Thank you. George Steinbrenner. <laughs> <laughs> Rowan Gardner. <laughs> Bum Gardner. <laughs> I'm just trying to shake that lincecum. I know. <laughs> uh, you know, it's we we love divorcing things, right? We love saying like, ah, oh, that's a bummer that he's done that. At least he's done a really good job with his church. Scar, scar. <laughs> I'm just going to keep getting derailed. I started it. Though. Minotaur. <laughs> Yeah. What were you saying? It's easy to divorce things. We want to divorce things. Uh, say, you know, this guy's probably doing a good job. with. Maybe he focused too much. His church is probably really healthy. But unfortunately, in that, you know, he abandoned his family. No, that's the Bible says that uh, a pastor is actually to have believing children. Uh, and so in that, you know, it, it shows the fruit of, of his own ministry. And unfortunately means uh, he probably should have taken a step back a long time ago to actually disciple his family. Yeah, into making better music and into knowing the faith and walking in the, the the road of the faith. You know, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You know, and so if, if God has joined uh, a man's church ministerial work to his family ministerial work, let no man separate it and pretend that a man is qualified for the pulpit who has not led his family diligently through the years in family worship. Yeah, I mean... It's pretty simple, right? It's supposed to be a microcosm and work its way out. So that that is the that is the the primary church, so to speak, that God gives you is this little this little home, right? This little family, this kingdom that you're supposed to build. And so, in terms of you know uh, ordaining ministers, ideally, if they're in that stage of life, you want to be able to look at that and say, "Oh yeah, that's what we want. That's what we want for our church. What's happening in that family is what we want for our church at large." Not a not a divorcing of the two. Just look at it. Just give it a look. Individual government, healthy individual, family government, healthy family, church government, healthy church, healthy community, conquered world. Post millennialism. Um. Well, those are all the questions from that section. Um, he does go in a little more about. First- so, so, John, I know you're listening to this, and listen, I've joked on your music. Uh, and it deserves it. It deserves way more jokes than I've given. I've been nice. I know you live in San Diego. I've really held back, and the, all the jokes are meant. I don't think much of your of your music. He may or may not live in San Diego. It just references he's in San Diego when he posted this. Gotcha. Well, you, you're in town. You to, I want you to get your facts right. I'm going to joke on your music. I'm going to continue to joke on your music. I think your reasons for apostasy are lame. I don't buy them. Something else is going on in your life. It's a pathetic excuse to to betray and walk away from Christ. And you owe him more, right? You don't just get to walk away from Christianity scot-free. You owe him more. He's on the throne, and you're not getting anywhere away from him. So answer for it now and make right now, or you're going to answer for it later. And guess what? You want to talk about this more? Send us an email. Go to... Uh, go to our stone.mountain.ministries at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'll set it up. I'll buy you a beer. I'll buy you a cigar. We'll talk about these things. But the ant- the questions are silly elementary questions. Silly questions. Easy answers. You're not reading your Bible. You're not in prayer. You don't love God. You're not fearing God. You have no good reason to face the wrath of Christ. So don't. Come talk to us. Truly, beer on me. Let's talk man to man, eye to eye. 
don't ruin your life. Don't ruin your life for a silly reason. Don't go the way of, of, of Joshua Harris. It's, it's unwise. There's going to be no fruit. It's only death. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, he did touch on some other things. I don't know if you guys want to go into them. Um, Are they interesting? <clears throat> uh, I think they can be. Okay. A lot of uh, you mentioned his father-in-law, and uh, one of the discussions he had with his father-in-law was about uh, was about Hawaii, or not about Hawaii. He was in Hawaii. Sorry, it was about First um, Timothy and how the things that threw him off were uh, women with braided hair. They can't have braided hair. They can't teach over men, things like that. I know you guys have touched on that a lot. So I don't know if you guys want to backtrack and go over that stuff again or point them to another episode. Or you could talk about King James and how the father... Yeah, go ahead. So with with First Timothy, for now, let's just point him back to, to past episodes. Uh, we did a three-part series and then did a few extension topics related to Mother's Day. So we did uh, parts one, two, and three on motherhood. And on part two, we talk about First Timothy. Uh, go listen to that. If you have any questions, you can use the same email that we just gave, John Skarsgar Steingarner Steinbrenner Steingard. Yeah, Steingard. John Steingard. Same email is available to you. That's available to him. It's not like a, a VIP email. So if you have any questions, but ask him in good faith. If you ask silly questions, you're going to get a silly answer. Um, but we let's let's have some fun and. Uh, We'll we'll tease a future episode now. We'll do we'll do uh, more episodes on what I talked about earlier on the connection of lower criticism and higher criticism, and how God actually is powerful enough and good enough to preserve His word for us without letting it be corrupted by our own silliness and sin. Praise be to God. But uh, tell us, Mo, about uh, the father-in-law's objection to the the King Jimmy. (laughs) I'll just read it. It says, "My father-in-law asked me if I had been reading the King James version." Referencing Timothy 1, uh, because he felt that King James had put his own spin on a lot of things, and that version could, couldn't could fully be trusted. And then he said, you have to go back to the original Greek. So you have to go back. Okay, so um, let's limit our focus here, not on the broad idea of providential preservation. Okay. We'll do that in a future episode. Okay. I won't tell you when we're going to do it. I'll just spring it on you. I we knew, I knew that. we want to be the world's preeminent podcast where men get together and talk about things that they thought of talking about the very moment they hit record. That's our bread and butter, and that's what we're going to bring to you on which, preservation. Which honestly is part of just the nature of a good friendship, right? We actually. Who are we talking about? You and me. No way. Are we friends? This is how, I to- this is how I'm telling you that we're friends. Oh, that's how I told you I don't like your hair and you're telling me we're friends. Oh. Uh, it's, you know, we actually just talk about these things all the time because uh, we want to grow closer to God. We want to honor him with our lives. So it should just be the nature of good Christian manly friendships. Yeah, you, you develop a good Christian friendship the way you develop a good mullet. Time, dedication, hard work. Mainly time. So... I want to f- focus in on the King James, but just uh, the two limited topics on King James. Did he influence it, corrupt that text, put his own spin on it, um, and, and to a point where you can't trust it? And then, uh, shoot, the other one, gosh, what, what, what was the objection they said? Uh, just man's error and that 
his father-in-law recommended he go oh, and look you, at Greek. If you're going to know Christianity, you got to go to the Greek. So let's right. do that one first, right? So sure. if you're going to walk with God, know Christianity, have a relationship with the Lord that you can bank on, depend on, build your life on, you got to know the Greek. Sugar Sean, what do you got to say to that? Meh. <laughs> you know, I mean, who's got the original Greek? Well, I mean, Tr- Trinitarian Bible Society. Well, who's to say that they didn't corrupt it? I mean, you're just you're in an endless you're in an endless spiral of, well, who has the original original Greek? Oh, well, okay. Well, now, you, well, you're going into our future episode on on preservation. How do, you, how do you avoid it though? I mean, it's well, okay. It's so, an underlying assumption that just like it undermines like what Bible what Bible version are you going to read and how are you, how are you going to assert to me without theology? Well, answer me this. So you're a pastor yep. and you have a congregation of some Spanish speakers. Uh-huh. I mean, not Spanish speakers, I should say. The technical term is Mexican speakers. But Hey, thank you. But you also have a majority American speakers. Grateful. <laughs> yeah. I'm grateful. You have a majority American speakers. Okay? Now, their Bibles, let's say even if they were all reading the King James, their Bibles in American, right? <laughs> now, is that good enough? Is a translation in their tongue good enough for them to build their faith on, or do they have to become Greek scholars? No, it's 100% good enough because God is gracious, and he's I, – I mean, it's it's hard to not use some of the language that we're going to talk more about yeah. in future episodes, right? But God has preserved his word, and he has uh, – he's given us faithful men to translate into into languages, and our goal is to, to do so as a church to every tribe, tongue, and nation uh, so that they can hear of – the works of God and the person of Christ. Amen. God actually uh, intends His Word to be faithfully translated into the the vulgar tongue of of all nations, so that men can know Him and know His will in their in their tongue. And so, if a translation is is translated rooted on the actual words of Scripture, the original. Uh, Hebrew and Greek, which we do possess today because of God's kindness to us, the Masoretic text in Hebrew and the received text in Greek, a translation translated from that and faithful to those words, not just trying to uh, convey some kind of poetic generality, but conveying the words and the majesty of those words to us, then uh, God is actually faithful to impart unto a good translation uh, the same qualities of his original, such that you can say, this is my Bible, and it's actually a Bible. You can yeah. be in Joel Osteen's church, raise up your Bible. This is my Bible. I believe what it says about me. <laughs> Love going off on a Joel Osteen line. Thanks for the setup. No, it's just, uh, you know, it's you, know, you tie together Great Commission, right? This the, the, the command is to baptize, disciple, in all of Christ's commands, all the nations, right? See, see them all baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and the way in which they are saved is through the preaching of the gospel with words. So, so God desires to save with words. It, it logically follows that he would uh, bless, uh, bless the nations with, with his word and, and do so in, in something that they could understand. Really an extension of the principle we see at Pentecost, the undoing of Babel. Uh, that men understanding the message of God, the prophecy of God in their own <clears throat> tongue. The, the other funny thing, connecting back to the King James, he put his own spin on it. Uh, the, the, the funny thing about the father-in-law suggestion that you have to know Greek if you're going to really know the Bible is that he evidently doesn't know Greek. Because if he knew Greek, he would know that the King James Bible is a really good translation of the Greek that King James didn't put his spin on. So he, he shows in his own suggestion, in his own... Uh, counsel his own ignorance of of the Greek because uh, and then 
his, also his historical ignorance, which is, you know, you got a, you got a pastor who's ignorant of the word, ignorant of wisdom, ignorant of history. That's not a good combination. Uh, actually, when you look at the history of how did the King James uh, develop, obviously King James wasn't this uh, bastion of, of saintliness. You know, he was opposed to the Geneva Bible because in the commentary notes included with the Bible, John Knox had some uh, correctly harsh thing to say, harsh things to say about kings who overstepped their bounds. And King James didn't like be, being called the task by ministers of the Lord. And so the, the Geneva Bible was actually banned from England uh, and then some very wise and godly Christian Puritan brothers uh, convinced him to commission their work in, in basically bringing William Tyndale's work uh, to bear legally uh, in his realm and in the providence of God, this Bible authorized by King James, but uh, the work done by by Christian men, Christian pastors, God blessed that work with being the foundational work for all of Christendom in the English-speaking world. Yeah. Is it Steingartner? Skarsgård. Uh, I like Rowan Garner the most, but <laughs> it's Steingard. Okay, Steingard. Steingard. You know, for, so for Steingard's father Who is Rowan Garner? Rookie of the year, man. Oh, my gosh. Hit me with it. Hit me with it. Mo, go. Uh, 12-year-old, breaks his arm, is in throws a sling. fire. Yeah. Breaks his arm, goes straight to the pros because he throws gas exactly. until the last game. At age 12? Yeah. Age 12. Elbow snaps back into place last game. Tight Can't throw in. gas anymore. One out to go. What does he do? going to have to watch the movie. What's the movie? Rookie of the Year. R- Rookie of the Year. Yeah. All right. Is that like a sequel to Sandlot? The, and it's, it's it's funny too because they can't get his name right in the in the movie, so it's like a yeah. it's kind of Manager. a double double joke. Nice. Because we're not getting What's his the name other right. Side of the, of the joke. Oh, we're not getting his name right. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Got it. Double yeah. entendre. Nice. Ooh, entendre. I don't know what it means, but it sounds good. <laughs> Spell it. Uh, All right. A- hey, real, so so for for Steingard's father-in-law, uh, you can't assert something. It's not something's not true because you assert it to be true. You actually have to understand what you're saying, and it actually has to mean something. That's the way arguments work. Huh. So. Look at that. Just look at it. Sounds good. Um, that was pretty much it with the post. The only other thing he did mention is uh, he's been receiving a outpour of support. Um, Which uh, Joshua Harris also, you know, obviously he would have received hopefully some correction from from loving christians but yeah also cited an outpouring of support sugar sean what do you think about stein gardner steingard steingard receiving that's my fault <laughs> <laughs> receiving all this out I take full responsibility. you know is that is that real so what do you think of that support uh i think it should you know if steingard was reading his bible it would actually set off an alarm in his head uh you know it should hearken him back to romans one and what what fellow sinners do when uh, someone joins their ranks, when someone decides to curse God alongside them, what do they do but cheer? Right. That is that's the move of the of the ungodly. Now, while they have time, while they have breath in their lungs, they're using the breath given them by God to curse His name. And Romans one is clear that when a sinner joins their ranks, when he uh, does something uh, as disgusting as what they're doing, uh, they not only do it with them, but they applaud them. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're applauded in their works of wickedness against the one who's created them. 
Big Mo, you brought to us a really good topic. Do you have any final thoughts in relation to Rowan Gardner's apostatization, John Steingard's apostatization, Hawk Nelson, music theory, or questions pertaining to the faith? No, I think that's everything. I just... I really, um, should, I really should have known Steinbeck was off the table. That's a different thing. Yeah, uh, that's an author. <laughs> yeah, but um, I just saw the post thought you guys would do a good job of answering it which you guys did and i'll keep the lookout for uh more questions for you guys hopefully we'll have big mo back for for future episodes uh and and uh i'll, I'll tease a future episode uh with uh, citing a, a story i you know I, I worked in scotland for a bit and we had a really intelligent pastor at the church i was going to uh, and he was scheduled to do a debate at the local high school with the religion teacher and her class. Uh, but he had to go to the continent uh, to debate evolution in Wales or something like that with, with another in another context. And so there was no one else available. So they, they had to settle for bringing me in. And, uh, and so I got brought into a local high school in, in Edinburgh, Scotland to debate this religion teacher in her class on these very questions. And that's a story for another time. You're going to have to keep listening to Stone Mountain Media to hear that and more. In the meantime, show the love by liking, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing other things. I don't know. Maybe getting a hat. Maybe getting a hat one day. The sweet hat with the sweet logo made by... You know what? We'll end with this. The logo. Maybe you've seen a new logo. Mm. Sugar Sean, your wife made us a logo. Now, tell us about that. What do you, first of all, not your thoughts about the logo, but in view of your wife's work on the logo, what do you think about your wife? I really like her. Deep. Deep. That's poetic, really. Now, what do you think about her logo? Well, well, no, honestly, on 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 my wife for a second, in terms of the logo, you know, epitomizes a lot of what she is, which is, you know, seeing something that I'm excited about, capitalizing on it, making it way better than I would have made it. Uh, she, in that category especially, anything creative, uh, artistic, she's phenomenal. Yeah, judging based, uh, judging by your your mustache, certainly she's the creative one. <laughs> Now, I will say it's a beautiful illustration of helper, helpmate, right? Here's a work you've taken up, and she comes in and uses her gift to, to amplify it and make it beautiful and, yeah. and awesome. I mean, you know, people don't see it. She's shaped most of my theology. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but she it, disciples you so well. <laughs> no, it's cool. Like, we have, you know, she, she takes hold of our family theology uh, with passion. Uh, it makes me extremely grateful and also... Uh, you know, anytime you have a good helper like that puts a burden on you, uh, because she is going to be a good helper, uh, for any wives, future wives listening, you know, a good helper, uh, submits unto their husband. And, and sometimes we'll have to, sometimes helping means pushing them towards, uh, understanding doctrines so that you can submit to it, right? you you should be reading the word on your own as women. And in, in reading it, think, oh man, I, we haven't talked about this as a family. What do we think about this? What does my husband think about this? Um, and just because he says something doesn't mean you need to be satisfied with his thoughts. Uh, you need to push him to uh, help you not just to to be able to say the right words, but to believe uh, believe what's true in your heart and to see it as beautiful. Awesome. And speaking of beautiful things, the logo. Back to the logo. Uh, so the logo is the way it is, and you'll see the way it is if you just look at it. 
which is thought one. Yep. Thought two is about the way it is. You'll it's it's a Stone Mountain Media. We've already told you the name uh, is really based on the vision of Daniel two, where Christ establishes his kingdom here, uh, destroys the kingdoms of man, sets up his kingdom uh, on earth at, at the time of the Roman Empire. And those kingdoms start small. It grows and grows and grows from a pebble into a mountain that encompasses the whole world. And that's that's what we're caught up into. That's that's our lives right now. We live at the time of Christ's reign and conquest where his kingdom is spreading, his rule is spreading. And, and one day this mountain is going to fill everything. And all nations will be willingly submitted to the perfect rule of christ so that's where that's what the name is rooted in and then the right. the visuals are connected to that name T- talk to us about the visuals yeah so the if you look at the top of the logo right it, it actually represents two things at once double entendre entendre <laughs> spell it <laughs> that's for mo i'll leave it for another episode uh <laughs> somebody look it up uh the logo on top right has uh three peaks it's a it's a mountain range it's it's to represent that that stone not cut out by human hands that grows to encompass the whole earth christ's kingdom uh our goal again is to you know we want to see we want to celebrate christ's victory his victorious reign uh and see that come about by uh doing our part which is uh just simply obeying him uh seeking to see the gospel go forth and seeking to uh, apply all of christ's commands uh to christ's people uh and so we have uh the mountains but the mountains actually are meant to also it's also not just mountains but a crown Right, so it's it's mountains and then it's a crown, and the reason it's a crown is because, like you said, David, uh, Jesus is reigning now. He is the King of all the earth, uh, even those not subjected under Him. He is their King, and they owe Him allegiance. Uh, and not only just that, but He's actually crowned us as kings and priests with Him now. So we we reign with Christ. Ephesians says that uh, not that we will be seated with Jesus in the heavenly places, but that right now Jesus is seated in the heavenly places, and we are seated there with Him ruling and reigning with him, seeing his kingdom come uh, here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want to do our part to to keep those crowns, like Jesus uh, commends the church in Philadelphia to do in Revelation, to keep those crowns, uh, to not give them up, to not, uh, to not turn from his word or forsake his name, but to keep his word, uh, to stay true to him, uh, to represent him faithfully on this earth. And the, the last thing about the visuals of the, of the logo, it's in the shape of a diamond, a diamond, which is a stone, stone mountain, a diamond stone, which would go perfectly front and center on a crown. So that's that's just a, a taste of the delicious content being produced here at Stone Mountain Media, not just by us, but also by Sugar Sean's lovely wife. And again, if you want more of this delicious content, stay tuned. Until then, go with God. <laughs>